This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Words of Integration and Guidance by Donna Shaper. The first thing people do when restoring old chairs is strip. Strip right down to the bare wood. They do this to see what the original might have looked like and to determine if the thing is worth doing over. They strip away all the years of grime, the garish coats of paint piled one on top of the other. They get rid of all the junk that's been tacked on through the years and try to find the solid, simple thing that's underneath. I'm like an old chair needing that stripping process. Every now and then, I have to take a really hard look at the illusions I've built up in myself and my society. See what I've gotten myself into. Illusions? Yes, illusions. The excess baggage I carry around. The unnecessary. The socially expected. All that keeps me living off-center too long. Stripping myself of all this is an intentional letting go of these illusions. It is a spiritual act of personal forgiveness. God lets us let go. It's hard work to let God forgive me. I have to discover the original under all these coats I've added. Strip away all the cynicism and anger I've built up. Get rid of all the junk I've taken on. Defy my disappointments and find what is real again. A reading of scripture from Philippians 2, verses 1 through 13. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, uh, chapter 21, verses 23 to 32. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him and 
came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. He answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, The first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Have you ever had someone dismiss you, label you, or call you a heretic because you changed your mind about something? Maybe some of you have experienced that. One of my earliest experiences of this was when I said that I preferred Pepsi over Coke. That's anathema, right? That's just heresy. Any Pepsi fans here? Sorry if I offended you. But there is a little story to this. Uh, when I was in college, I was at a minor league baseball game at the Whitecaps in Grand Rapids with a couple of friends, and somebody came up to my friends and I and said, would you guys like to be in this contest where you have to catch a baseball? I said, okay, sure, I like baseball. Uh, we agreed, and so a seventh inning stretch came, and what they did was set us up in the outfield, the three of us, one of us right behind second base, one in the middle of the outfield, and, and I was on the warning track by the fence. And they were going to shoot us all a pop fly out of one of these, you know, ball launching machines, and pitching machines. And if we each caught the ball, everybody at the game would get a free two liter of Pepsi. And my friends and I would get a year's supply of Pepsi. I know. Well, as it would happen, uh, one of my friends was not really into baseball. And not played much baseball. So when they gave him a glove, we had to help him figure out how to get it on his hand. Uh, they gave us a practice shot first. So we put our friend right behind second, right? The closest one. Practice ball came. He dropped it. Crowd was not feeling enthusiastic about our chances. But if we all got our practice balls, then now it's for real, right? We all need to catch it. First friend, balls up in the air, catches it. We're like, all right, now there's a chance. Second guy comes up a little higher, a little deeper, he catches it. 
Now I'm, you know, 40 track, last one, the crowd's like, come on, we want our Pepsi. You know, this is like one moment of almost being a real baseball player. <laughs> but they shot the ball up, looking at it, it's a night game, lights are on, caught it. Hooray! My goodness, that would have been a tough, uh, tough drop. So uh, they didn't. So what they did was give everybody a certificate for a two-liter. They didn't actually give them a two-liter, but then they did deliver uh, Pepsi to my dorm room. And they calculated how much Pepsi a year's supply was two cans a day. <laughs> so over 700 cans of Pepsi in my dorm room. A little bit of Mountain Dew in there because they make Mountain Dew, and I requested that it wouldn't all be Pepsi. And a little bit of Slice, if anybody remembers Slice. <laughs> but after over 500 cans of Pepsi, I'm like, ah, I kind of like this. <laughs> you know? So, that was a long story to make a very short point. <laughs> that sometimes changing our minds is hard work. And we often resist it. Right? We often resist changing our minds. There are many obstacles in the way, a major one of which is what social scientists call confirmation bias. And that is that we tend to embrace information that supports the beliefs and the understandings that we already have. So if we read an article that agrees with something that we think about, we think, this article is absolutely right. It's got to be. It's what I think. And if it's something that challenges the way I think or that says something a little different than how I perceive things, we're much quicker to find all the holes in it and to find what's wrong with it. Some scientists actually call this not just confirmation bias, but my side bias. And so when we're presented with someone else's argument about something, we're actually pretty good at picking it apart and finding some of the flaws if it's an argument different than ours. But if we are presented with our own way of seeing things, we're somehow much less quick to be critical about it. And it's especially hard to change our minds if our social or economic position um, is threatened. Then we're really not interested in other ways of thinking about something. And so if we consider our text today in the gospel, Jesus has been riling up the religious establishment by his teachings, his dramatic entry into Jerusalem has happened not far before this. And just before our reading, Jesus has gone into the temple and really disrupted things. Right? You recall he went in there with a whip. He goes in there, turns some of the tables over. This is a threat to the religious establishment, to the priests, the elders, the religious leaders of the day. He's criticizing them and their practices. But imagine if someone came into your workplace and started flipping iPads over and unplugging computers and saying, these Macs are no good, you gotta be using PCs here. Or, or just saying in general, you're doing it all wrong, right? Someone comes in and is disruptive like that. How receptive are you going to be with that approach, with that way of saying something? Not gonna be that open, probably. And so maybe a little understanding for these religious leaders is warranted. They feel threatened, and so they want to, in response, undermine Jesus. Well, if he's threatening us, we're going to, quote-unquote, turn the tables on him. Well, how do they attempt to undermine 
Jesus by appealing to authority. They asked Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you that authority? And what do they hope to do by this line of questioning? I'll show that Jesus has no basis, right? That he's kind of acting as a lone ranger. And this is a society and a culture that values authority. And if so, if they can show Jesus really is acting without authority, ah, then maybe people stop listening to him. And so they're whole lives are depending on authority and their positions. Authority based on scripture, tradition, social norms, social and cultural norms, approval of the Roman Empire. And when someone questions all of those things, it's not a surprise that they're not ready to get on board with that. So they asked Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? And what does Jesus do? Well, in natural and uh, regular rabbinical response, he responds to their question with a question of his own. He says, I'll answer your question about my authority if you can answer me one question. Sounds like a riddle, you know. I'll do what you want, but first. He says, John's baptism, did it come from heaven or was it of, of human origin? And if you recall, they kind of wrestle with that. Well, what are our options here, all right? We want to answer his question because we want to know, we want him to answer our question. But if we say that John was sent by God, well, Jesus said, why didn't you believe him? Why weren't you on board with John? And if we say, well, John really had no authority, kind of made it up himself, the crowd is not going to be real pleased with that. They like John. So they came back. We don't know. We don't know. Jesus says, well, then I'm not going to tell you either. You know, it almost feels like a playground sort of a interaction here, right? Can you answer my question? I can answer yours. But they're hoping to frame Jesus' actions as illegitimate simply because he lacks the proper backing. He's not acting through the proper channels. And so it doesn't matter if Jesus is doing good things or saying that things that are actually true. If he doesn't have authority, none of that matters. And they're acting out of an authority-based mindset. And blind allegiance to authority, of course, can be a dangerous thing. It can lead people to say things like, you should always obey the law no matter what. Or, the Bible says X, so you can never do Y. Or, the police and the military are always right because they are an authority and because they wear the uniform. Or you should always stand and salute the flag during the national anthem, no matter what. Or it doesn't matter what the president tweets, he's still the president. You can see where an obsession with authority can get you. But Jesus refuses to play the authority game. And he turns it back on them by making them answer their question about somebody else and realize that, oh, it's not maybe as black and white as we thought. And so Jesus maybe makes a little crack in their approach, in their way of seeing things. And the second step is Jesus tells them a story. He says, a man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. Sorry, dad, not going to do it, says the first son. But then he changes his mind, and he actually does go and do it. Second son, 
Dad says the same thing. Son, go and work in the vineyard today. You know, go do your chores, right? Go clean your room. Go mow the lawn. Whatever it might be, right? Could apply. Second son says, sure, Dad, I'll do it. But then he doesn't do it. Any parents can relate to that, I bet, here, right? Sure, Mom and Dad, I'll, I'll go do that. I'll be right on it. Well, what is Jesus getting at in this story? Do you think? What's the point of this little parable? You're afraid to answer after last week, maybe. But. <laughs> Things aren't always as they seem. Things aren't always as they seem, yeah. And words are cheap. Yes, that's right. Doing the right thing might be more important than saying the right words. Right? That actions, as the saying goes, speak louder than words. And that changing your mind can be a good thing. Right? The story explicitly says that son changed his mind. And they agree. The first son, the son who changed his mind, is the one who did the right thing in this story. Well, is Jesus hoping to change their minds here? Maybe. Does it work? Well, it's hard to say, right? It's hard to say. But it does get them to agree, right? At least in principle. That... Doing the right thing might be more important than saying the right words or having the right, perhaps, authority. And that changing your mind on something can be the right thing. And so Jesus here is appealing not to authority, but to example. To example. In other words, what one does is what matters, regardless of authority or words or anything else. And then Jesus goes on. He doesn't let him off the hook, does he? In verse 28, he says, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came in the way of justice, and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. In other words, regardless of the source of John's authority, right? he was acting in the right way. He was acting in the way of righteousness and justice. And even the people at the very margins, the people you are often dismissing, they got it. And then Jesus finishes with the kicker. Even after you saw the good fruit of what he was doing, you didn't change your minds and believe him. He's giving them permission, right? He's saying it's okay to change your mind, to think that I was wrong and I could reassess and be right. But of course, Jesus is also sort of saying, you didn't change your minds, you kind of blew it. But they... We're stuck on tradition and on authority. That mattered more than human lives. Quoting the Bible mattered more than compassion. Maintaining their positions mattered more than mercy. Does that sound familiar? Quoting the Bible matters more than having compassion. Maybe we've encountered that, right? But if I'm honest, I've been one at different points who's done that. Who's quoted the Bible and thought that's more important. Being right is more important than loving people or showing compassion or doing the right thing. But by the grace of God, sometimes 
Our minds can be changed. Oh.